millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, August 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Hurricane Laura comes ashore, bringing with it high winds and heavy rainfall. We look at how it could affect Mississippi as it begins its turn eastward. Then expungements were a core issue of governor, the governor's veto of a comprehensive criminal reform bill. We explore why reform advocates feel they should be expanded. Plus, in today's book club, a longtime GOP strategist has given up on his party. As he details in his book, it was all a lie how the Republican Party became Donald Trump. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hurricane Laura roared ashore along the southwest Louisiana coastline in the early hours of this morning, having intensified to a strong Category 4 status with winds reaching 150 miles per hour and a storm surge unprecedented for the area. We're joined now by meteorologist Robert Ricks of the National Weather Service in Slidell. Um, first of all, I'm looking at radar of this hurricane, and it looks like it's covering the entire state of Louisiana. Is this an unprecedented storm? Well, not really unprecedented. I mean, it's behaving conventionally in this case, and as hurricanes typically do when they make landfall, they start expanding and weakening as they penetrate further inland. Right now we're seeing the center just south of uh, the Lake the Shreveport area, and it's continuing to advance north towards uh, Arkansas. And uh, as far as Mississippi goes, we're seeing quite a bit of banded rainfall that's pretty much uh, extensive all the way west of the I-55 corridor. Yeah, it's interesting because it's usually our Gulf Coast that's most at risk of severe weather and storm surge, and maybe there's a little of that, but it looks like it's northwest Mississippi that is most vulnerable now. Well, from a rainfall and wind standpoint, that's correct. Uh, the, the rain will be with you throughout the day today and across Mississippi, uh, and with that, these amounts can come quite heavy. So flash flooding will be a concern as we go through today and into tonight as the storm continues to move well north of the area. Um, also, with winds, uh, we, we are going to see with these showers, they'll pr- produce quite a bit of wind out of them, say 50 to 60 miles an hour at times, as we're seeing now. Tell me this. Mississippi is now the the north to south. The western half of the state is under a tornado watch until this afternoon. Why is the propensity for tornadoes stronger during a hurricane? What's what's the combination there? 
Well, you have the larger spin of the hurricane itself, so that's causing the air that's moving into the circulation of the hurricane to have spin already involved. So once you get these individual storms within the, the circulation moving, they'll, they'll have some spin characteristics as well. So it's a lot easier for them to create tornadoes in that process. Is there any way to know yet how Louisiana has fared from this hurricane? It was a huge hurricane coming ashore. Uh, any determination yet? Right. Some of the damage assessment is obvious in, in downtown Lake Charles where there's a few more people and some a lot of footage to see overnight. But uh, now that we've got a little bit of daybreak, that um, assessment effort is going to be spread throughout the, the region to see exactly what, what has happened overnight. And I think, you know, it seems like things may not have been quite as bad, but still it, it's too preliminary to tell uh, until uh, officials can get out there and make a good assessment of, of how, dam- how much damage actually occurred. Well, we certainly wish the best to those in Louisiana and eastern Texas. We've been speaking with meteorologist Robert Ricks. Thank you so much for being with us. Sure. Have a good day. You too. The Mississippi Emergency Management Agency is providing assets to assist early efforts in Louisiana. MEMA Director Greg Michelle says some of that help is already on the way. We're deploying those assets when it's safe to do so. With, with regard to the search and rescue assets, they are, they are on the road now. They're going to uh, where they believe to be a safe area in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They will get there. They will take shelter until the, until the storm um, uh, subsides and it's safe to move around. And then they will be deployed uh, as necessary uh, by the state of Louisiana's emergency management. Uh, same thing would apply to the Rotary Wing assets with the National Guard. Uh, they're poised. They've been preparing for this and having discussions for the last few days. And when it's safe to do so and deploy those assets, and they will go in and go where they need to be. Michelle is calling on Mississippians to stay weather aware as Laura tracks inland. He says the storm's path resembles 2005's Hurricane Rita, which brought tornadic activity to the state. Mississippi is certainly not out of the woods. We will be experiencing effects uh, from this storm. We are expecting uh, uh, a lot of rainfall from the storm. And then again, just a reminder about the storm surge. Uh, we can expect this storm system as it moves across the state of Louisiana and Texas and into the state of Arkansas to bring with it in the rain bands and the wind bands uh, a lot of effects to Mississippi. Uh, one of the things I just want to bring your point to and as a reminder was brought attention to me today, this storm track has followed very closely, as did Hurricane Rita, which preceded or or followed very closely Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. That storm, Rita, followed very nearly this very same storm track, and we experienced one of the largest tornadic outbreaks that we had on that day. So just a reminder, we could experience tornadoes in addition to the rainfall and the wind. So we certainly need to remain vigilant throughout this period of time. Michelle also cautions heavy rainfall north of Mississippi over the next few days could result in some flash flooding, urging residents to be aware. Coming up, expungements were a core issue of the governor's veto of a comprehensive criminal reform bill. We explore why reform advocates feel they should be expanded. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. When Governor Tate Reeves vetoed a bipartisan criminal justice reform bill last month, he cited the expanded number of expungements and the perceived safety concern they presented as a key factor in his decision. House Bill 658 would have allowed Mississippians to get up to three nonviolent felony convictions removed from their record. State law currently allows one felony expungement. Advocates and lawmakers seeking this type of reform say it helps those convicted of felonies get their lives back on track. 50-year-old Edward was released from prison in 1999 after serving five years on a drug charge. He doesn't want to use his real name because he's concerned it might affect his future employment. Edward shares part of his story with our Desiree Frazier. Several years ago, I got into a little situation where I went down the wrong path and doing some wrong things in my life and it led to me getting incarcerated for some things that I, I, I was doing. And I got sentenced forward, and actually I went out, did my time. I did what the judge actually was doing, all this and that, and I got out, and I did my restitution and my probation, and I basically just kept myself clean for all those years. And I really wanted, you know, to try to get my life back, you know, because there were certain things that I wanted to do. And I knew what I couldn't do without, you know, about being having a felony, felony charge. You know, certain jobs, you know, type of job, you know, you can't get with felony. When you got out, um, you I were... I got out in uh, January the 3rd, 1999. And at that point, what was important to you? Staying out was the, my biggest part, uh, getting my job. I actually, I actually got my old job back, and I've been here ever since. And... Like I said, I wanted to uh, actually want to try to move forward, you know, with my life and try to find a better job. But the family always, you know, when you do application, that, that part in the application, uh, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And which it, I had, and that prevents you from getting, from getting certain jobs. How did that make you feel? Uh I made me feel I was a little bit discouraged. You know, I stayed discouraged a lot about it because I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't move forward, and I was just like stuck in one job that I couldn't really, you know, subdue my passion for other things like I really wanted to. It's like I couldn't move forward. And when did you get your expungement? Actually, I got it in the mail about <laughs> about two or three days ago. And how did you feel when you opened up that envelope? Oh my God! I feel so much better. I feel relief. It's like the like something had been lifted off me. I can feel like you know, hey, I I finally got my life back. Attorney Sierra Williams handles expungement cases at the Mississippi Center for Justice. She says the center was initially excited when the bill passed the legislature. We were watching um, legislation, just seeing how things were going with six fifty eight. We were kind of excited because it would have given so many Mississippians an opportunity to have their criminal, not just one thing from their criminal history record expunged, but multiple things. Fine is generally when a person has one felony, it's quite possible that that person has more than one felony. And so 658 would have allowed for individuals to have up to three felonies removed from their criminal record so long as they were able to 
um, complete all terms and conditions, and it had been five years since they've completed those terms and conditions. So 658 would have opened up a lot for a lot of different people, allowing them to secure better housing, um, better jobs. It just would have created better opportunities for people who have committed a felony maybe in their 20s and are now 60 or 50, and they're still unfortunately dealing with the repercussions of their actions. When expungements are done, does that mean that the record of that person is clear as if it never occurred? Yes, that's um, that's the meaning behind the expunction, yes, that, that it would no longer um, follow them around, basically. Um, the only time that they would be forced to say that they did um, commit or they were convicted of the offense would be if they were um um, being sworn in as a juror. And so if you're asked that question as a, when you're called upon to be a juror, then you do have to say yes or no. But other than that, no. The governor was concerned about safety issues involving this bill, maybe letting the wrong person um, be expunged or what have you. Your thoughts on concerns about safety and doing expungements? Most Most people that we see um, getting a felony expunction, they're normally in their 60s, <laughs> normally in their, sometimes even in their 70s. Um, and, and part of that is because they have to wait so long before they're even eligible for expunction. So, sure, we just talked about the five-year waiting period. We talked about how you have to wait five years after you've completed all terms and conditions. Some of those terms and conditions could be a 10-year sentence. It could have been a 10-year sentence with a five-year probationary period. And so you still, so those, that's 15 years, and now you still have to wait an additional five years before you can even, before you can even petition the court to ask for an expungement. And so now you're 20 years past the crime that you committed. You're 20 years past that offense. And I, I'm sure that we can all attest to the fact that within 20 years, we all change. And so, um, I think that we, we have to accredit people, people's rehabilitation to this entire process and understand that you, you can change as a person and that um, you're not always, you shouldn't always have that dark cloud following you everywhere that you go. Some lawmakers are not done pushing for expanded expungement. Republican Nick Bain of Corinth chairs the House Judiciary B Committee. He says people have trouble getting a job after serving time so they can contribute to society. The bill basically allowed for three uh, expungements of felonies that kind of all happened in the same transaction occurrence. Uh, this is some more of the criminal justice reform stuff that, that's been handed down by the feds, but even the Trump administration. So, you know, we're, we're looking at, I, I, we're looking at, I want to bring it back next year and do it again. I think the governor acted in a little bit of haste when he did this. This had some uh, approval from wide conservative groups and legislation was was promoted by some of, some of the most conservative groups in Mississippi. Uh, so I do think the governor uh, may not have vetted it properly uh, in his mind to bring it back next year, and I will. What does the bill do? It just allows for more expungement. Our, our goal here is for people who need, who have had a crime that occurred 20, 25 years ago to, 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 to get this off their record. Uh, so they go back to work so that they are not continually being penalized and they're not continually being a burden to society uh, for, for something that happened so long ago that they certainly have paid the price for. 
Now, why didn't the legislature or the House override it while you were there? It's all a timing issue at this point. I want to I want to take it next year, and and, and we're going to have hearings on it coming up in the next couple of months, uh, and and we'll get more people at the at the table. So that's I just thought it would be better for us to to take another long look through the process. Bain says he wants more voices involved in revising the bill. Governor Tate Reeves noted the measure was well-intentioned, but would threaten public safety. Coming up in today's book club, a longtime GOP strategist has given up on his party, as he details in his book, It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. The first question that we get when someone comes in is, how is the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library in Mississippi? Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We have every letter Grant ever wrote and every letter ever written to him. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Stuart Stevens has been a staunch Republican for most of his life, a top strategist for Republican presidential candidates George W. Bush and Mitt Romney. The Jackson native helped Haley Barber, Thad Cochran and Roger Wicker get elected. But now Stevens has given up on his party because of the GOP's embrace of our president. Stevens' new book is called It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. The Republican Party that I thought I had joined believed in character counts, personal responsibility. We talked about in the Clinton era how culture was the most important part of the soul of a country, more important than any one issue. Trump has said he's the king of debt. We believed in fiscal responsibility. It was clear from the very beginning that he had no respect for the American military, the way he he attacked John McCain. So to me, he was everything that we said we weren't. When you look at that primary, when there were 16 candidates running, all 15 spent a lot of time and money and energy beating up on each other because Everybody thought all you had to do was get one-on-one with Donald Trump, and you would win. Yet he prevailed. How did that happen? In a tactical, strategic level, as a campaign consultant, it happened because the other 15 candidates thought that they could win easily if the race came down to them and Donald Trump, because they believed that the Republican Party in a million years would not nominate a failed casino owner you know, had five kids from three wives who talked about dating his own daughter. That just wasn't going to happen. So they didn't attack Donald Trump until it was too late. No one could imagine him winning. And I think in November of 16, Hillary Clinton left a lot of votes on the table because people just assumed that Donald Trump was going to lose. But at its face value, I, I, I think it proves that the leadership of the Republican Party did not believe in the set of core principles that we had espoused as a party, which is why I called my book, It Was All a Lie. As your title says, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump, what happens if he's reelected? What happens to the Republican Party? I I can tell you exactly what's going to happen to the Republican Party. It's going to be what happens to the Republican Party in California. 
So not very long ago, California was the beating heart of the Republican Party. It was the electoral citadel that all electoral college victory was based on. And now the Republican Party is in third place. Not second place, third place. There's Democrats, and then there's independents, what they call no-party preference. And that's what's going to happen to the Republican Party. Here's a statistic that just sort of says it all about the future of the Republican Party. Americans 15 years old and under, the majority are non-white. So the odds are really good they're going to turn 18 and still be non-white. And what does that mean for a party that has made it clear that it doesn't welcome anyone who isn't white? It's a, it's a stage four cancer warning. The party could change, but I see no reason to believe the party has any interest in changing. So it'll play itself out. It's easier to predict how these things end than, than how long they take. It's sort of like the subprime mortgage crisis. And they're probably going longer than we think. But there's no future for this party. No one can tell you what being a Republican stands for now, except it means that you're not a Democrat. And that's not enough to sustain a, a, a party in a big, changing country like America. What do you think is Donald Trump's most egregious action or character trait? The most egregious character trait of Donald Trump, in my view, is cruelty. It's, it's an unforgivable sin. He is deliberately cruel to those that he feels are less powerful than he. I, I don't know a single parent. I don't know a single teacher. I don't know a single coach. I don't know a single Boy Scout or Girl Scout leader who would say that's admirable or would put up with it if they saw someone under their charge doing it. And deliberate cruelty is the essence of Donald Trump. He enjoys it. It makes him feel powerful, which is how bullies are. You can't expect Trump supporters to read your book because you're telling them they're being lied to. And what you've just said couldn't be more negative about our president. Why do you think his base, and he has a very strong base, have stayed with him? Why do they still admire him as much as they do? One of the things to, to realize is that Trump's base is getting smaller. When Trump says he has 95% of support in the Republican Party, that's not really accurate. It's probably, but it's probably closer to 88 or 89. You know, we used to talk about when Haley Barber of Mississippi was chairman of the Republican Party, we talked a lot about a big tent and how we had to aspire to be a big tent. When's the last time you heard that? The party shrunk. I think that Donald Trump plays to a sense that is within all of us of victimhood. I mean, we all have a side that is less positive and more positive. You know, that moment that you feel when you're driving down the highway and someone cuts you off and you have a little spurt of road rage, Donald Trump tells you that's your best self. You shouldn't let that person pass you or you're a sucker. And he empowers that. And look, I think one of the big lessons of Donald Trump is that leaders matter. Stuart Stevens is the author of It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. Stuart, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. 
Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.